But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 12. I think we're finally going to get through Mark chapter 12 this week. I thought that four weeks ago, but this week feels like the week, and I'm excited about it. Uh, what's been happening is the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees have come to Jesus, and they've been asking him a lot of questions to try to trip him up, to try to discredit him to all of the people who are around him. But every question that they ask him, Jesus gives the absolute perfect answer for and makes them all look like idiots. Like, that's what Jesus does. When you try to trap Jesus in a question, you always end up looking pretty foolish. So finally, the fourth guy, he's been watching everybody before him. He's like, I'm not going to ask those kinds of questions. I'm going to look stupid. So he asked Jesus, a, and actually a very good question, and it says this in verse 28 of Mark 12. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with another, and seeing that, he answered them well and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So when they asked Jesus, out of the 613 laws that we have that we follow from the Old Testament, which of these are the greatest ones? Which are the ones that really sum up everything about the entire law? What's the heart of what it is that God is trying to do in us and, and to shape inside of us? And Jesus says the entirety of the law is summed up in these two commands. is to love God with everything, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. That's saying everything you are, you're supposed to use that to love God with. And last week we talked about the, the way that we're able to do that is because we first have a revelation of how great God's love is for us. We didn't decide one day that we were going to love Jesus with everything we are. One day we had a revelation of how much Jesus loves us and how he demonstrated on the cross and something was stirred up inside of our hearts that made us come alive with passion for Jesus and for seeking after him and made us decide that we were going to spend the rest of our lives following after him because we had seen how great his love was for us. And now the second commandment that he gives is to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two hardest commands. Like, all I have to do is love God with everything that I am. Literally, everything that I am is for loving God. And then I have to love my neighbor as myself. Now, I have the best neighbor in the world, Sybil. I live next to her. Uh, so, like, this is pretty easy. I feel like I'm the one that she's trying, like, Lord, help me love Pastor Jeremy. Oh, my neighbor is so wicked and bad. <laughs> but it's easy for me to love her. The Sybil's just awesome. But it's not always easy for us to love our neighbors. Loving other people is really, really difficult. I always tell other people and they joke around, hey, is being a pastor hard, especially to people that are wanting to go into planning a church? So they'll ask me, hey, is, how's pastor? I'm like, oh, it's really easy except for people. I mean, if it wasn't for people, I'd be the world's greatest pastor, world's greatest father, greatest husband if I was married to myself. But since there are people in the world, it's actually really difficult to do things because it's hard to love other people all the time because there's something that's messed up inside of me and because there's something that's messed up inside of every single one of us that makes it really hard for us to love each other. And when Jesus gives this command to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, he isn't making this up. This is one of the 613 rules that God had given them that they were supposed to follow. And it actually comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. So if you're making notes, uh, you can just write that in there, your own little cross-reference. Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19 in this. And I'll read it to you. This is what it says. 
When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your right field up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hard worker shall not remain with you until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life at your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And what's happened is God has brought the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They've been living as slaves. And now he brings them out and what he's doing is he's beginning to reveal to them the way that he has called them to live. You don't continue to live as a slave anymore, but I have to teach you a new way to live as someone who's been set free by me. I have set you free and now there's a new way that I'm going to teach you to live, a better way that I'm calling you to live. And he begins to list and really breaks down into four different categories the way that God's people are called to live in relationship with one another. And the first one that he was talking about is provision, that we're supposed to make provision for each other. When he's talking about not harvesting up to the edges of the fields and leaving gleanings, you might be like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, what would happen was uh, the people, when they would go out and harvest their fields, God made a law and said, you can't take everything that's in your field. Even though you planted it, you paid for the seed, you worked the ground, you harvested it, all of this stuff, it's not all yours. What you need to do is you need to leave the edges of the field and anything that gets dropped, you need to leave that for the poor or for the immigrants, for the people who are passing through the land. What God does is he creates a system by which people are able to go out and to get provision. It's this beautiful system. If you're a well-able-bodied person, God says, I am creating a way for you to go out and always be able to make sure that you have food. That in my people, that you won't go hungry. Uh, if, if you're poor, you're an immigrant sojourner, this is awesome news to you, uh, especially if your crops failed. Maybe you lost your family land or you're just passing through, so you have no way to provide for yourself. No matter how hard you might want to, there's no way for you to provide for yourself. God creates a way for that to happen. Now, you know who's not happy about this? It's the people who planted the fields. Oh, well, God, I paid for all that seed. I've been working the crop. I've been watering it. I've been pulling the weeds. I've been removing the rocks. I've been toiling in the sun. Like, God, why don't I? It's all mine. Why should I give that to lazy people who didn't put anything to work for it? You know how people get. You know how you get sometimes. I know how I get. But God creates a system of where it's going to cost something from those who have to provide for those who don't have. There's this principle all through Scripture we see again and again that everything that you have isn't yours. God's always asking for a part of it. It's what tithing is. It's saying, God, I have, this is all of my income. And God says, no, first 10% goes to the church. We're like, no, God, I love it. And he's like, nope, it's not yours. All of it's mine. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to do with a portion of it. It's the same with the field. Like, God, this is my, I need this for my family. 
What if my crop fails me next year? I need to be able to store up. I need to be able to save up, make sure I can't give out to other people, even though I think it's great in theory. But if I actually follow this out, then I'm going to put myself at risk. I'm going to put my own family, my own provision at risk. But what God is doing is saying that you can't just rely upon yourself for provision. You have to ultimately rely on God for all of your provision and everything. And a part of the way that we move in faith and trusting God to be our provider is by sacrificing of what we have ourselves so that there can be provision for other people. God's called us to make a way of provision for those who don't have, and it's always going to cost us something. The second category that he was talking about was protection. He's saying don't steal from each other. Don't deceive each other. Don't lie. No oppressing other people. No cheating. No cursing. No creating systems that are going to keep other people from advancing and taking hold. Jesus is, or what God is saying in this is that you can't be someone who is taking from other people's either what is already theirs or the opportunities that they might have to be able to advance. God's called us to always provide protection for other people. The third category that he was talking about is justice. He says, in your court systems, there can be no injustice in the way that you're judging. He says, there can't be any partiality based on if you're poor or if you're rich. A lot of times what happens, and you'll see this throughout all societies, all cultures, all of time, is if you're rich and you go to court, you got a lot better chance of getting off than if you're poor. I mean, there's even been football players who've done crazy things. I won't mention names. But if you got money and celebrity, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And if you're poor, you go into the court and people automatically look down on you. Well, you know, obviously they've been making poor life choices, they haven't been working hard, poor ethic, whatever. And Jesus is saying is there, there can be no partiality that we show to each other because of you're rich or if you're poor, because of race, because of gender, any of these things, is that he demands that we be a people who are just and who advocate for justice on behalf of others no lying, no slandering, because slandering is also a way of injustice. And then he goes on in this fourth category that he gives us is actually love itself. He says there can't be any hatred in our hearts. He says that you have to reason with your neighbor frankly lest you incur sin. This is, this is actually God's telling us that we need to have some healthy conflict with other people. A part of love is always conflict. What we do in our society is we say, you know what, I'm just going like, to pretend nothing happened. This person is really bugging me. They're doing something wrong. But I'm just going to keep my mouth shut about it. And then it just keeps building inside of you. And you start hating someone in your heart and they have no idea. They think that you're BFFs forever, but really you hate them in your heart. Because you never went to them frankly to have a conversation about what was really going on or the offense that you might have so that there can be reconciliation and forgiveness and all of that going on so that love can continue. He says that you can't take vengeance, that you can't hold grudges. He says you have to love your neighbor as yourself. What that means is we have to love our neighbors in the way that we want to be loved. Now this is, as I was preparing this message this week, I was telling Anna, I said, I don't love people. She's like, yeah, you do. And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, I want to. But as I'm going through this and I'm reading about the way that I'm called to live, like my life doesn't match up with this. And this is a moment of, of honesty with you all. I've never preached a message where I lived it out entirely. Every time I come up here and I teach, I recognize that there's always a, an air of hypocrisy because I never fully live out the demand and the, the commands of God for my life. 
But I'm always trying, like, God, reveal to me how it is that you've called me to live so that I can move more fully into it. And God, by your power, would you move my heart and move on me so I can more fully line up with you. And even in this week, it's like, God, help me to love other people in the way that you've commanded us to love each other. And so I started putting myself in this place. If I was hungry, I would hope that someone would love me enough to give me provision. I would hope that someone wouldn't just pass me by. I mean, even if I was an addict, it's really easy in our culture, like, well, you know, if, if I provide for them, they're just going to go blow it on something. And actually, I, no, I hope that if, even if I found myself in the place of being an addict, and here's, like, nobody wants to be an addict. If they could quit, they would. But they can't. That's why they're an addict. I would hope that if I found myself in the place of where I was an addict, I wouldn't just receive judgment, but I'd receive love from other people. I'd hope that when I was hungry that someone would give me food. I would hope that if I found myself in the place of where I was oppressed that someone would stand up for me. If I found myself in one of the classes or one of the races or whatever else it might be that is looked down upon, where my rights were being taken from me or where I was being oppressed, I would hope that there would be someone who would love me enough to be able to stand up for me. I would hope that if I ever was in the place where I was the victim of injustice, that someone would demand righteousness and justice for me. And I hope that if I was in a place where I was hated and despised, that there would be someone that would just love me. Not be able to fix all my problems, but someone that would just extend the love to me that I'm due because of the fact that I bear the image of God. Because I'm a human just like them. And why would I want all of these things for myself? It's because I love me. Not unduly, but we all love ourselves. We all want provision for ourselves. We all want justice. We all want love. We're built to receive these things as a part of the way that God wired us. And that's why God is telling his people, listen, you used to live one way, but now that I have set you free, I have a new way that I'm calling you to live. Your life isn't about you anymore. Your life isn't about just holding on to everything that you can and turning a blind eye to all of the needs of other people around you, but that now you're supposed to use your life to love other people. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And that word neighbor in Hebrew, it actually meant the sons of your people. So it went from, you know, we're, we're a tribal people, is that we like our families. Actually, we fight with our families like crazy and slander and lie and hold grudges and unforgiveness against them. But then if someone else messes with our family, like we love our family and we hate the other people. That's how we all operate. And God's saying, no, it's beyond your family. In, in, in the book of Leviticus, he's saying, now it's not just your family that you're supposed to love sacrificially. Now it's all of your people. The whole family of God you're supposed to love in this way. And then Jesus goes on, because at this point when Jesus is speaking, they all know about Leviticus 19, the way that we're called to love other people in the family of God. But then in Luke chapter 10, um, Mark doesn't record this part of it. Luke records a lot more than Mark does. But in Luke chapter 10, we see that Jesus redefines what a neighbor is. It says, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So Jesus sets up a hypothetical situation. It uses a parable to convey a message. And he says that this, there's a Jewish guy that gets beat up and he's left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest comes by. The priest, that was the best of the best in the society. That's the one that people wanted to be. They had the power. They had the position. They were the best. And the priest walks by this Jewish man who he's supposed to be loving as himself because he's a son of his own people. He's a part of the family of God and just leaves him lying half dead. And then a Levite, they're the best clan in the entire nation of Israel. This is another person that you wanted to be. He should have had compassion on a fellow brother in the faith. But instead, this man passes him by. And then the Samaritan comes. And Samaritans, they were looked down on by the Jewish people. Uh, They were the wrong race. They were a mix of two races. So they were hated by the Jewish people. They lived in the wrong place. They followed the wrong customs. Uh, They had the wrong morals. They viewed, they would actually... Even though Samaria was right next to them, when they were trying to travel, they wouldn't go through it. They hated the Samaritans so much that they would go around their land several miles because they just couldn't defile themselves by being exposed to the Samaritans because they were less than people. It's the Samaritan who comes and sees this Jewish man who hates him, who despises him, and he picks him up and he takes him to the inn and out of his own money, makes provision for him. He loves this Jewish man who hates him in a way that's costly to him. Jesus says that's what a neighbor is. That's how you're called to love other people. Jesus redefines neighbor for us to no longer be just the family of God or the people who are racially like you, the people who are geographically next to you, the people who are of the same political party as you. He redefines it as being not geophysical, but he says that every single person on the face of this earth is now defined as your neighbor. And every single person on the face of this earth is now we are called to love as we love ourselves. For every single person on the face of this earth, we are called to provide provision for them, protection for them, justice for them, and to love them as we love ourselves. Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies. The people who hate us, the people who despise us, the people who persecute us, people of every race, every nation, people of every religion, people of every moral value, people of every party, the people who wrong you, the people who stand for everything that you're against, the people that you think are the people that are responsible for all the wrongs in this world, Jesus says that we're supposed to love them like we love ourselves. And when I was studying that this week, it's like, Jesus, how do I love people like that? And one of the, it's two days that I remember really distinctly. I remember 9-11 because I was living in Tennessee and I remember waking up to the radio alarm and hearing what was going on. And I remember the hatred that began to fill my heart for, for other people. 
And then I remember the day that the news broke that Osama bin Laden had been killed. And I remember the celebrations that were going on and people were saying he finally got what he deserved. And I'm not saying that he didn't get what he deserved. But I'm just grateful that God doesn't give us what we deserve. And it was at that moment, God reminded me of this verse where I was watching people celebrating his death. And I was reminded of the verse that says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the unrighteous. You know why? Because as much as he was a horrible man, and he was, and he did absolutely unspeakable things, God created him with love. God created him with purpose. God created him with intent. Jesus loved him just as much as he's ever loved me. And Jesus was pursuing him just as much as he ever pursued me. When he died, his story ended. There was no hope for redemption. There was no hope for restoration. There was no hope for forgiveness. There was no hope now that he would be able to become a brother and a sister with us and this family that we were all adopted into. Because see, here's the reality. is Every single one of us were as bad as any person who's ever lived. We were just as guilty of sin. We were just as guilty of treason against the king of heaven as anyone has ever been. But Jesus loved us and he came and he restored us. And Jesus has that same love for every other person on the face of this earth, even the most unrighteous people. Even still, God takes no pleasure in their death because that was never his plan or his intent for them. He wanted to rescue them. He was coming after them. He wanted to save and to restore and to reconcile with them. He wanted for us to everything that we have to be made available to them and to every other person on the face of this earth. Jesus had a love for Osama bin Laden that I don't have. But he's called me to love my neighbor as myself. He's called me to love him like I love myself, to fight for provision for him like for myself, and justice for him like myself, and protection for him like for myself, and to love him like I love myself. And Jesus how do we do that? This is the key. As Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's how Leviticus 19 ends. And this is the key phrase. I am the Lord. It speaks to two things. Number one, Jesus has the authority to make this demand of us. He's God. He can ask us to do anything that he wants to and we have to respond to it. Jesus has the authority to make us do this. Even when we don't want to. Even when there's people that we don't want to love. He still has the authority and the right to demand that we love them. And then number two, Jesus has the power to change our hearts. This is the key. When God says, I am the Lord, is to remind us that he has power and authority. God, of my own ability, I don't have the power to love my neighbor as myself. God, I don't have the ability to be broken for other people. God, I don't have the ability to love my neighbors, even the ones that I like. God, I certainly don't have the ability to love those who hate me, the people that I think everything is wrong about them. God, I need something supernatural to happen inside of my heart so that I have the ability to love them. 
Jesus has the power to change your heart. Just like you didn't begin to love God because it was your decision, it was a revelation of God's love for you, it was him changing your heart, that's why you love God now with everything that you are. The reason why you're going to be able to love your neighbor is because of God moving and working inside of your heart. Really, Jesus puts these two together and he puts them in the right order and he's saying something, is that when you love God with everything that you are, then, then you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. The overflow of loving God with everything you are, what it naturally produces inside of you is a love for all other people. It's what's naturally produced inside of us when that happens. And in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, it speaks to this, and and I'll end with this. This is one of the verses that God brought to to my heart this week as I was studying. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from his goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then I will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared from the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is how serious it is. Is that when we love other people, it's us loving God. But when we refuse to love other people, when we show them hate instead of love or indifference instead of love, then it's saying that really we're showing that to God. And this is how I began to understand this verse. It was three years ago. It was Christmas Day. And we were getting ready to, to go, um, you know, did, we're loading up all the presents into the van. We're getting ready to drive to the west side of the state to celebrate with family. Brielle had just turned one year old. And we're loading up stuff. We're packing things up. And my doorbell rings. And I go and I answer. And there's a stranger at the door. I'm like, oh gosh, like Comcast, seriously, on Christmas Day, you're coming trying to sign me up for stuff? He's like, hey. And I'm like, well, and he's like, I notice that Brielle's there with him. I'm like, what the heck? He's like, your daughter was out here. She was going out towards the street. So I grabbed her and wanted to bring her here. She said, this is her house. I was like, oh my gosh. First of all, I was freaked out and scared because. The door was unlocked, and in the, the hustle and bustle, somehow she had just walked out. We never even knew that she was gone. We never even knew that she was lost. What could have happened to my little one-year-old girl in just a moment? And the second thing was I was filled 
with so much gratitude and love for this guy. He didn't get my daughter for me. He was doing it for her. He saw a one-year-old girl out there heading towards the street and he grabbed her for her sake, for her benefit, because of his compassion and his mercy for her and brought her back to her father. But I received it like he did it for me. That's the way our father is. Why? Because my daughter is so precious. He didn't have to stop. He didn't have to help. He didn't have to, I don't want to put my nose in other people's business. What could have happened to her if the wrong person had found her? What could have happened to her if she'd gone into the street? Her, she could have been gone forever, never seen her, and maybe worse could have happened to her. But he loved her. And in doing so, he loved me. And I received it like he had done it for me. That's how God is. Every single one of us, every single person on the face of this earth, we're all that kid who's wandered away. We left our father's house. We made our own decisions and decisions that for some of us have led to absolute ruin and devastation. And every time we see someone who's wandered out of the house, and because we're moved with compassion and love for them, and we respond to them in love to bring them provision, to give them justice, to give them protection, to love them, to bring them back to their father's house, we might be doing it for them because of our love for them and wanting to save them from destruction, but our father, he receives it like we just did it for him. There's nothing better that man could have done for me. There's no amount of money that he could have given me that would have been a greater gift than what he did for my daughter. There's nothing. What we need from God is a revelation of how precious every single person is. How loved they are by their father. And when we get that revelation from God, the natural overflow of our heart will be to love our neighbor as herself. To love the people across the road. To love the people who look like us, the people who don't look like us. The people who vote like us, the people who don't vote like us. The people who are making good decisions, the people who are living in bondage and in addictions. Give us the ability to love people of every race, of every nationality. He'll give us the ability to love people who have harmed us. He'll give us the ability to love people who would persecute us. He will give us to, the ability to love our enemies. Why? Because every single one of them is loved by God. And he's called us to love them too. We are what we love. The more that you love God, the more you're going to become like him. The more you're going to have his heart developed inside of you. And the more that you love God, the more that you're going to have his heart that's filled with love for every single person. Not those who deserve his love because none of us do. But every single person is worthy of God's love because it's what he created them for. Would you stand with me this morning? First John chapter 4 says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother and whom he has, uh, whom he has cannot see. I'm going to start over. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment, we came from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This morning, would you take just a moment? God, do I love you? And the way that you can tell is by if you're loving your neighbor. Because that's going to be the natural overflow of your heart. Jesus, this morning, would you come and would you meet with us? Jesus, this morning, would you show us if we truly do love you? God, this morning, would you show us if we've been loving our neighbors? Jesus, this morning, because you have the authority and because you have the power, would you do something inside of our hearts? God, would you show us once again, fresh and new this morning, how great your love is for us? When we'd walked away, when we didn't deserve it, Still, you loved us. You demonstrated that love even though it cost you everything. Jesus, this morning, would you give us the ability to love other people like that? Every single person. God, would you highlight the person or the people group that we haven't been loving? person there, the people we wouldn't give provision to or protection for or justice to, the people that we don't love like we love ourselves. This morning in our prayer time before service, we were praying for chains to be broken. We were praying for freedom. We were praying for restoration. The chain of hate is a strong chain. But Jesus has the power and the authority to break it in your life this morning. If you need Jesus to come and to do something inside of your heart to give you the ability to love other people, he's doing it to me, you'd be so bold just to, to raise your hand and say, God, I need you. I need you to do something in my heart this morning. I need to be able to love. I need to be able to forgive. God, I need to be able to love like you love other people. Thank you. Jesus, over every hand that's raised this morning, I pray that you would come and do the miraculous. Jesus, in every area of our hearts where we've been harboring hatred, God, we repent of it. Jesus, forgive us of that sin. And God, would you fill us with love, the kind of love that you have for us, Jesus, that we're so grateful for and that we've received so freely when we didn't deserve it. Jesus, would you give us that kind of a love for every other person on the face of this earth, the people who don't deserve it because we didn't deserve it, the people who aren't looking for it because we weren't looking for it. Jesus, I pray that you would give us the ability to love those that we hate, Jesus, I pray that you would forgive us of the prejudices that we've held in our own hearts towards other people. 
God, that you would forgive us of the way that we've just been holding on to what we have instead of giving it to meet the needs of the poor and the sojourners. Jesus, I pray that you would forgive us of the lies that we've believed and the bigotry that we've believed. Jesus, I pray instead that we would be a people who are broken. You said that people would know that we're your disciples by the love that we have for one another. Jesus, we pray that when people see Radiant Church, that they see people who are filled with your love, a people who are driven to irrational things to demonstrate your love and the worth and the value of every single person on this earth. Jesus, would you give us your eyes when we look at the hurt and the lost and the broken and the addicted and those who are in chains. Eyes that want freedom for them. Eyes that would sacrifice of ourselves for them. Eyes that would elevate them to the position of brothers and sisters with us. Jesus, by your great power and your authority, change our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. They're going to be on the outsides here. If there's anything that we can pray with you about this morning, come, let us pray for you. We see Jesus move miraculously every single week in response to the prayers of his people. Or maybe this morning you're here and you just need to come and to confess to some people about unlovingness that you've been holding into your heart, come and confess and let them encourage you and pray with you. Or maybe this morning you know that you're far from Jesus. And you want to know him. You want to be right with him. Come, let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. Let us connect you back to your father who loves you and who's been seeking you. We'll take your hand and we'll lead you to his door. And this morning, you can be rejoined with the family that you were always made to be a part of. Come, let us pray for you. If not, God bless. Uh, If you want to host a group, register for that. We'll get a hold of you and make sure you get down on your calendars and sign up for the six-year anniversary party. It's going to be awesome. We'll see you next week.